This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello and welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast. I am your host, Trevor Williams. And today on the show, we're going to be chatting with a beef rancher and how exactly her and her family started selling direct-to-consumer, how they raise cattle near Lake Michigan in Wisconsin without having very much issue from the local communities, and any tips and tricks she has on how consumers can connect with farmers all around them. And there's a lot more than you might think. On today's episode, I'm interviewing Rachel Harmon from Wisconsin, who is a sixth-generation farmer, and her and her family, like I said, they raise beef in Wisconsin, very, very close to Lake Michigan. And so you might think there may or may not be some issues with that. Well, we're going to talk about it and how the local community responds to it, as well as how Rachel and her family are trying to drive home the importance of sustainability and regenerative farming to their kids, who are then going to be the seventh generation on the farm. And that's something I really haven't thought about. Like, obviously, whenever you've got kids on the farm, you want to pass it along, you want to tell them, you know, how important agriculture is, how important it is to care for the land and the animals and everything, but also the important concepts of sustainability and why that's important for the long haul. So I think that's really cool. And Rachel's got a lot of really cool perspectives on how farmers and consumers are connecting better, how direct-to-consumer business models are really changing the game when it comes to farmers providing great products whether it's beef or produce to consumers in their local area, which I think is really cool. And we're also going to touch base a little bit on show cattle, like just very, very quickly, which we haven't really talked about a whole lot here on the show. So I think this is a great interview. Check out their Facebook page below in the description and stay tuned to the end of the episode for a very cool idea I'm going to try to do on how we can have conversations post podcast episode. Be sure to follow us on social media, all, again, all those links are below, but stay tuned for the, I guess, the outro of the episode for how we can carry on this conversation 
And if you have any more questions, comments, or concerns after the episode, how you can carry on that conversation with me afterward. Be sure to check out everything that we link below in the bio. This was a super fun conversation, and I think you will enjoy it. All right. Well, Rachel Harmon, welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I am good. So you are a beef rancher in Wisconsin, and I guess we like virtually know each other through our friend Elise that works for American Farm Bureau, which is super cool. Yeah, very cool. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started beef ranching in Wisconsin. Sure. So I grew up on our family's livestock farm. So from very little on, my favorite place to be was in the barn. Um, Grew up with my cousins running around. All of us were really close. So I started showing beef at the age of four at our county fair in our small fries and training programs, like our little kitty showmanship. And I never knew that it was going to have such an impact on my life. Obviously, when you're four, you don't know that. Um, Moved on to showing sheep at the county fair and state level actually got to travel a little bit to Minnesota State Fair and show sheep, but beef was always really exciting to me. Uh, So I kept on showing and that was really where my passion came from. In high school, I took our ag classes, couldn't keep me out of them, decided to go to University of Wisconsin River Falls, where I majored in agricultural education and decided that um, ag was definitely just my passion. So anything I could get my hands on that dealt with ag, I wanted to do it. Met my husband, and I guess we could say the rest is history. Brought all of my cows up in like 2007. My family sold the farm and decided I was taking my cows with me. So in 2012, not only did my in-laws gain a daughter-in-law, they gained a herd of beef cattle as well. (laughs) That's a lot of adjusting, I'm sure. Absolutely. Uh, They actually used to raise dairy on my husband's family farm. So it was a little bit different. My father-in-law sold the cows in 94 and just went into cash cropping. And so here I come with my cows and all of that. And it was very neat to see kind of the transformation of continuing on the family farm. So our boys, we have two boys that are nine and five, are actually the seventh generation on that farm. So very Mm -hmm. cool to be able to raise them and care for the animals in the land where past generations have been. So what was that switch like? You said they, they originally had dairy cows and then they ro- they had cash crops. So you're bringing in all these cattle. Like was there land that they had dedicated or was there anything you had to switch over for the cows? Like what was that kind of switch like? Yeah, so it started on the smaller scale. So I brought about a handful of my show cattle with me just because mm. I couldn't part with them. So brought them over. My father-in-law gave us a little chunk of land that we could use for pasture. And they had the buildings, even though they were set up for dairy, we were able to make it work for us and have been slowly making changes and improvements as time has gone on. And we've just kind of overtaken <laughs> some more land for pasture. Uh, <laughs> but it's been really cool just to see that and go from just solely cash cropping the land back to having animals there. And we're right on Lake Michigan. So uh, they, they really like the temperature there because it's always cooler by the lake. Hmm. I bet they have some good views. I bet those are some happy cows, right? They are definitely happy cows. <laughs> and even in the middle of summer, I feel like it gets to like 70 degrees on the lake with a nice easterly breeze. So they're very happy cows and they have a lakefront view all the time. Now, I never showed livestock in high school. We, you know, I was in an ag program in high school and, you know, there's always programs that either love livestock or they don't have livestock. I was on the don't have livestock. 
um, side of things. But I mean, I know showing animals is a huge thing or showing livestock is a huge thing that a lot of people do in high school, outside of high school. And so I bet that was super fun to bring those um, those show cows home and continue to develop them. Like, were you still showing them after y'all moved back home? Yes. So I received my favorite cow. Um, her name was Precious. She was born in the year 2000. Um, and she was like my best friend and she actually passed away when she was 16. Uh, so I got to travel the country with her and see places and make memories and build friendships with my best cow on my side. Um, so she of course had to come with me mm. and showing was always such an important part. And it's, it's not just showing livestock. We always say that we're, we're not raising livestock. The livestock are kind of raising us um, <laughs> when it comes to kids. Um, so I'm happy that our boys are into showing the cattle as well. Um, some of my favorite memories come from cattle shows or that's how I got to see the country was usually from a truck windshield with a trailer attached. You know, yeah, I've been to a bunch of shows um, here in Florida, like not anything crazy, but it's really cool. And even just seeing stories online of just kids going through the whole show process, like young kids in middle school, learning about responsibility, learning about caring for animals, caring for cattle. And, you know, all the stuff you've got to do for showing them, like you've got to teach, I don't know, these kids in middle school, they're like maybe 70 pounds, 100 pounds, teaching this thousand pound bull like how to move around the ring and how to do it with confidence. It's really cool to see like not only the animal learn like from the kid, but also just kind of learn, just kind of watch that kid learn and just kind of soak in everything that's going on. It's a really cool learning experience. It seems like. Yeah, it sure is. So like I said, our boys are five and eight. They both surfs five and nine. Um, and they both started showing when they were four. So same age I was. Got them kind of hooked at open shows where they were eligible to show. And as they've gotten older, um, they've taken on more and more responsibility. And it is our family business. So it's important for them to see what we do. And I never feel bad when I take them out of school for a show. And people have kind of asked like, oh, you know, you're missing school or something like that. I said, those kids are getting life lessons that they can't get inside of a classroom. Um, mm. when we're out weighing our feed, like it goes down to the ounce for those show animals feed. Uh, so they're out there learning math as we're weighing their feet on the scale and things like that, or they're reading show cattles were show catalogs and things like that. So there's definitely life lessons that come from outside those gates. Oh no, I can imagine. And so moving on, let's talk about your beef cattle, for, for example. Now you said you raise them right close to Lake Michigan and something that uh, we mentioned when we were planning this interview is that there's some issues that come about whenever you're raising livestock that close to a lake. So can you touch base on that a little bit? Yeah. So we are literally right up on the lake. And so that has brought its own challenges that we can't expand our farm any further east. <laughs> there's no land there. Um, and we also have to keep a buffer zone in our in our pastures so that the cattle aren't directly next to the lake and can't contaminate the water in any way. So that has its own set of challenges. And if you travel even to the western side of the state or out west, cattle are just roam free. They're able to mm -hmm. go into creeks and streams and all of that. And we don't have that up here. So even though they're right on the lake, you're not ever going to see my cows out sunbathing <laughs> or laying <laughs> on the beach. But um, we have to be very careful with our water and things like that. Not just only with the cattle, but our other farming practices as well. So yeah. So what all does that look like? Like what all goes into monitoring everything and just making sure like everything is, is safe? Because I know you don't want 
any sort of runoff going into Lake Michigan and stuff like that. So what all is the monitoring process like for that? Yeah, so we are able to really reach back with what past generations have done. My father-in-law just passed away unexpectedly in June, but he was such a great resource for teaching us why things were done the way they were and what previous generations have done. So if you walk through our pastures, you're going to see things like waterways or buffer zones that we keep in longer vegetation, grass, weeds, things like that. We don't let the cattle in there to graze because we want that ecosystem in there so that it really slows down the flow of water. Mm. Half of our land that's actually on the east side, which is next to the to the lake, starts at a hill and then flattens out. So we do have to worry about water runoff, whether it's from our fields or from the road or things like that. So we do whatever we can, like those buffer zones, to make sure that the water doesn't just run right down the hill and into the lake. Now, because it's such a huge lake, I mean, really like one of the most famous lakes in the country, like, are there any government organizations or entities around you guys that are kind of like making sure you guys are doing that? Yeah, so the DNR is always around and making sure that farmers are in compliance with all of their practices, as well as there's actually a farmer-led group um, or an agriculture-led group called Peninsula Pride. And that group is out there to really partner with farmers to be able to monitor their water, monitor their land, and they're an environmentally focused group. So that's a great resource that farmers have in our area that we can use, utilize their resources and expertise as well. Now, do you have any like, I don't know, I I know that whenever there, I'm thinking of a story in Las, I think Las Vegas, where all these developments started building houses left and right, but there was a pig farmer that had been there for generations. And then all these houses started getting built up and then people started complaining like, hey, this pig farmer needs to move. It's smelly. Like, what's this doing here? But everybody moved in around him and he was just like the original one there. And so with your farm, are there any like kind of local people in the town that are kind of, I don't know, just really more on their toes than they should be when it comes to beef and being so close to the lake? Our area is actually pretty good. And I think Hmm. they have a respect for the fact that we've been there now seven generations. So when you look at our farm, you're going to see the red barn and the pastures. So it is what looks like a typical family farm. So people around us are pretty respectful of that. However, because of our close proximity to Door County, we do have a lot of tourists, um, which is good because it draws in some business, but we also have a huge Mm. population that moves in from Illinois. Um, And there have been cases that they've, you know, wanted to buy more land and don't understand that like that's our pasture that's in our family and has been for years, but overall everybody around us is pretty respectful. Well, that's good. I mean, I feel like you don't hear stories that often about the communities working together. Usually you only hear about the bad times, you know, when, when people are complaining about farms or anything like that. So that's, I mean, that, that's really good to hear. And I mean, you're, you you kind of touched base on it earlier, but it sounds like you guys have a lot of sustainable practices going on on the farm. And so, I mean, to ensure great water quality and just because the farm's been around for, for so long. So to you, like, what does sustainability look like on your farm? Like all the different sustainability practices that y'all might have. Yeah, I actually just made a post on Facebook the other day and it said, we don't do it for us. We do it for the past generations that trusted us to do it. And we do it for future generations so that one day they can take over. And I think that's really kind of our motto, at least on our farm and within our family is 
we really work hard because past generations, my father-in-law especially, has put that trust into us that we're going to keep that farm going, as well as looking at to our boys and my niece and my nephew and knowing that one day it's going to be theirs. And if we're not sustainable and doing the best that we can for our land, for our community, our animals, and for our family, it's not going to be around for them to take over. And that's really, really important for us to know that if at any time we stop farming, that's just one more, one less farm that's taken off that's there to feed the world. Hmm. That's true. And so with your kids that are growing up on the farm, like what all goes into kind of teaching them about kind of farming and also also like the importance of sustainability? Like what kind of lessons are you teaching them to make sure that they kind of understand like the big picture of it all? They're very hands on at any given time. You can stop out and see our kids are kind of tagging along with us. Mm. Um, when you hear the song, there's a country song. I've been watching you. Uh, we really live that we don't ever just say, you know, go in the house or things like that. Like they're, they're really our sidekicks and they've learned and they have their own set of responsibilities. And we know that they're learning firsthand. And the first rule on their farm, you could ask our five-year-old, what's the number one rule? And it's safety first. But we've had to instill that because we want them out there eating it, breathing it, sleeping it, so that they really see what we do and why we do it. And you can talk sustainability till you're blue in the face, but until you really get out there and see like farmers are out there doing everything possible to care for their land. And I don't know that you're going to find anybody else, any other industry that cares for the land as much as farmers and agriculture do. Yeah, that's very true. And I mean, I've been interviewing a lot of people for a while and I feel like, I don't know, a lot of people don't really see all the sustainability practices that farmers are doing. I mean, usually consumers just kind of see fertilizer, pesticides, that's it. But they don't realize like all the sustainable practices that farmers have been doing for decades, like rotational grazing, cover crops, just countless things like that, that, I mean, really generations have been doing years before we heard these buzzwords of like sustainability and regenerative farming and stuff like that. So it's cool that, I mean, you guys are doing what you're doing, but you're also like ensuring that the next generation, your kids also understand the importance of it. Yeah. Speaking to that of, you know, farmers and ranchers have been doing this for decades. They absolutely have. They just didn't call it sustainability. Mm. And in my partners and advocacy leadership group, that's part of American Farm Bureau. They talk about like farmers are the last ones to toot their own horn. And that's absolutely true. Like we do all of these things. We know it's sustainable because that's just our daily life. If we're not sustainable, we're not going to continue on but we're not the ones out there kind of waving the flag saying, look at what we're doing because we've been doing it for hundreds of years. Yeah, that's very true. That's awesome. And so we were talking before, again, when we were trying to play in this interview, you guys sell direct to consumer beef, right? Absolutely. Freshest way to buy your meat. Do what? Freshest way to buy your meat. Oh, I a hundred percent agree. And so I, I, I have loved learning about more companies shifting to this. So, what made you want to sell direct to consumer? Like, was there a COVID pressure? Was there just a, a way you needed to diversify the operation? Like what all happened there? This has been something my family has done for years. Um, when we look at when we used to have our fair lambs or our fair steers, we used to always have like when we showed lambs, I'd buy two lambs. One would go into the meat animal sale. The other one would get sold privately or direct to consumer. 
And so that was just something we've always done. And then when Eric and I, my husband, Eric and I started farming alongside my father-in-law and we really ran the beef side, my father-in-law, Gary took over, you know, ran the crops and that type of thing. Um, we knew we needed an income source. So how do you do that? For me, it was mm. easiest to say, let's sell meat to consumers because we're not big enough to go and sell directly to like a packing plant or something like that. So we could take them to the sale barn, but I like knowing that I can supply my friends and family and community with a wholesome, nutritious product right from our farm. And then when COVID hit, the the desire to do that just grew exponentially. Uh, mm -hmm. So we really had to up the amount of animals that we were selling privately. And when I say that kind of to put it in perspective, we were selling like four to five steers a year. Um, and we sold them by the quarter. So you could call us and you'd buy a quarter of an animal and fill your freezer. And then we started, uh, we got licensed and started selling at the Green Bay Farmer's Market. And when we got our license uh, to sell retail, we're able to sell right from the farm in individual cuts. So like the, if you'd go to the grocery store and you want to buy one steak or a pound of hamburger, we also sell that way now too. Oh, that's awesome. So what kind of struggles were, did you, did y'all encounter whenever you were going this way? Cause I know that there are so many hurdles you've got to jump through when you're selling direct to consumers, like so many ways you've got to prepare it. So many ways you've got to market it really well so consumers can find it and get it. So what were kind of the beginning struggles whenever y'all did that? Sure. I think really it was just keeping it simple. We would post on Facebook. We would tell our friends and family that this is what we were doing. We did have a small, smaller customer base that had previously been buying quarters from us. But getting into the farmer's market was a huge help because that gave us a customer base outside of our small little town um, into, into the Green Bay market. But just being able to market and say like buying fresh beef and it's less expensive than the grocery store in terms of buying, especially by the quarter. Um, but you know where all of your meat's coming from and people having knowing the source of where their meat came from was very important to them. Mm -hmm. So there were the people who had that desire to begin with. But then just being able to say like we're available and that we're still working on that. So when people are so used to going to the grocery store, I want people to think, okay, this week I'm having hamburger. Let's call Rachel versus let's go to the grocery <laughs> store. Yeah. And I mean, that's so cool that obviously it's, it's super duper fresh. You're getting it straight from the farmer. I mean, you're not having to guess where your meat is coming from. Like if you go to Walmart or like down here in Florida, we have Publix and even here at Publix, it's really hard to see where that meat's coming from. I mean, our country of origin labels are just so crazy it, like if you want to buy if you want to support regenerative raised beef or whatever it's really hard to do that because nine times out of ten you can't really find the correct labeling and so if you find farmers like you guys are doing great practices if you want to support them you can pr support those practices but also get some really great really fresh beef by just you know buying direct yep and for those folks who aren't connected with a farmer yet they should know that going to the grocery store is okay the meat that they're buying at the store is safe. It's wholesome. It's still nutritious. It's coming from a family farm, just not ours or just not somebody right in their backyard. But I have plenty of people and friends within the industry that sell to the packing plants where that's where their meat came from. And they're still a family farm. It's just in a larger quantity. So consumers too should know that 
if you're buying meat at the grocery store, it's still safe for you. Um, and we're, we're happy that you're buying beef no matter where it's from. <laughs> um, but yeah, you can definitely come to our farm or a farm near you and see what the opportunities are to make that partnership. And one of the examples I like to give is during COVID, it was really nice for those people who had a farmer in their phone book. Um, meat shelves were empty. Grocery stores were shel- shelves were empty. Now what? If you had a farmer in your phone book, you could call and say, hey, I need meat. And that, to me, if I had to go to the grocery store and see empty shelves, I'd have been nervous. Um, Knowing that, you know, we raise beef, we have friends that raise pork, our family wasn't going to starve because we had another farmer in our phone book. And that's another reason to support local farms near you is they have your back in a time of need as well if you have their back and can help them stay sustainable and moving forward and in business. Yeah, that's a great perspective. And I mean, kind of going off of that too, what advice would you give to people that maybe they don't know a farmer? Maybe they want to find someone in their community, county, maybe just even in their state that they want to support. So what what advice would you have there for a normal consumer to somehow connect with a farmer? There are plenty of resources out there, you know, hop on Google, hop on Facebook. We actually had a customer who typed in beef Algoma and that's how they found us. Um, So I'm really happy that Google put us on the top of the list. Um, But there are plenty of ways to go out and and find them. You just got to do a little bit of searching. Here in Wisconsin, we have the Wisconsin Beef Council. If you would call them and say, hey, I'm looking for you know, a a beef farmer or a pork farmer in Northeast Wisconsin, who can I call? Um, Those are other great opportunities and resources for folks um, that they can call. Even if you can get to a farmer's market and ask, hey, I live in this part Mm. of Florida, who can I find? Um, Those are great, great ways to do it. And just do a simple Google search and don't be afraid to pick up the phone and call. Um, It's always awkward making that first phone call to say, hi, I'm a stranger. I want to buy meat or do you sell (laughs) meat? Um, Farmers in general are very nice folks. We're a little busy, so you might catch us at a at a bad moment, whether especially right now we're in harvest. Um, so don't ever be afraid if they say, hey, I have to call you back. Um, but we really want to be there for our customers and, and consumers in general because that's how we stay in business as well. Um, but if you would call me and I wasn't selling meat directly, I can likely tell you somebody who is because that's who's in our circle of friends and networking. So we can point you in the right direction. And, you know, kind of on the inverse of that, like, let's say somebody's a beef rancher, they want to get started selling direct. Like, what are some of the first steps out there? Like, how can they get word out there? How can they, I don't know, get tips and tricks from other farmers that have started to do this? So what advice would you have there for beef ranchers? network, reach out to your fellow Mm. farmers and ranchers, find out what they're doing. Uh, I know here in Wisconsin, we had to go through the licensing process uh, once we wanted to sell retail. So that was really, really easy. But at first it was very scary to say, okay, I have to call the state health inspector um, and what questions they were going to have for us. But once they were out here, it was a really easy process. So to have somebody that I can could walk through and say, Hey, they're going to stop out. They're going to check your, your freezers and that type of stuff, but it's not as stressful as it seems. Uh, so just kind of know what your requirements are for your state or your area as far as selling directly. Um, but don't be afraid to ask, um, to, to find somebody or make a post that says we're selling X, Y, Z. I know Facebook doesn't always like to sell 
um, animal products and things like that. So sometimes mm -hmm. you have to be creative, but our most recent endeavor was we were having breakfast at one of the local restaurants and I've wanted to get in there for a couple of years. They're attached to the bakery and they have a really small freezer section. And I finally kind of got the gumption to walk up to the owner and say, Hey, I want to sell my meat here. How do we do this? And the worst they were going to say was no. Um, and then I'm no further behind than what I was, but she said yes. So that's a great new opportunity for us to be able to sell like hamburger, hot dogs, brat, snack sticks, um, because people go into the bakery. We are a huge fishing area on Lake Michigan. So we have a lot of fishermen that come in and go to the bakery. Well, now they can pick up a pound of hamburger when they're in there and support our local farm at the same time. That's perfect. I mean, really, the answer is always going to be no, unless you ask. And I mean, if you can do that, sometimes you'll be surprised. You'll be surprised. Like, I mean, like you were. Um, and I was just thinking about this. Like, if a rancher wanted to sell direct, do they would what would your advice be like? Would you have to convert all of your products to selling direct? Or could this just be like a small thing you do on the side if you're selling I don't know any other way. Like is do you, would you have to completely pivot your operation or can you do this kind of 50 50? It can even be smaller than 50 50. It's a great supplemental hmm. income for other projects that you have going on. So for us, we do, I would say about half of our animals go into direct cons to consumer. Um, and we are able to sell other ways as well. Um, we actually just increased our, our herd size a little bit to be able to sell like to the butcher shop if we wanted to, so that they have meat. Um, and those numbers fluctuate year in and year out. Um, but being able to have that customer base, but you do not have to transform all of your buildings and all of your land and your entire herd to one thing or another. And you can start slow. I remember when Eric and I started and we were selling one steer a year direct to consumer and now that's grown but you have to start somewhere i think that's so cool that you don't even have to do a hundred percent or even 50 percent of your business being direct because it, it can just be something where you can try at the local market or even um during covid people were doing this selling direct as a means of survival like um people weren't going out their contracts were getting shut down because grocery stores restaurants were shutting down and so they started selling direct as a means to keep their business alive. And now everything's opening back up. They're keeping this open and it's really like blossoming into a huge industry. Yeah. And the nice thing is too, for consumers, you can always find a farmer that aligns with what you're looking for. So we get a lot of questions of, are we grass fed or are we organic or things like that? And we're not, but we're sustainably raised and ethically raised and, um, for me, if I was just myself and in a consumer's shoes, I don't necessarily need organic or grass-fed. I just want to know that what I'm feeding my kids is the best product I can. Mm -hmm. And that's what we found other customers have come to us for. Uh, I can tell you everything about every animal from the day they were born, which is really neat. But I can then tell you exactly what we've done to that animal or um, that type of thing. So there's always a farmer that's out there that can match your your desires as well when it comes to your food supply. I like that. I think that's going to be a good quote for the episode. Um, Finally, uh, uh, a soundbite. Soundbite, yeah. Oh, I don't worry. Soundbites. There, there are a bunch of good soundbites, so no worries. Um, so I know one thing we wanted to touch base on also is kind of climate change and ag. And so what are your viewpoints on climate change and really either ag's role or ag's, I don't know what ag is 
giving to climate change. So what are your thoughts on that? Farmers and ranchers are leading the charge, Mm -hmm. plain and simple. Uh, They've been out there taking care of the land and taking care of the environment. And they have now been given even more resources Mm -hmm. to make sure that what they're doing is benefiting the environment. So they're really stepping up and taking charge um, and what they're doing to make sure that the environment is going to be sustainable. Yeah. I mean, I've learned recently about carbon credits, for example, and really farmers have been doing that stuff for, I mean, decades, like we were talking about earlier, like more regenerative, sustainable practices. And now all these companies want to get in on the action and they are technically kind of taking credit for what farmers are already doing and have already been doing. And so it's really interesting that people give ag so much of the blame when ag is really part of the solution and nobody's really giving it that credit until really lately. I I think it's changing, luckily, but I think it's slowly changing where people are realizing more and more that ag is definitely part of the solution. Yeah, ag is definitely leading the charge and is part of the solution when it comes to climate change. And these big corporations that are reaching out for carbon credits and things like that, I kind of feel are giving farmers credit where credit is due uh, because they have been doing these practices to be Mm. sustainable and to help with climate change, but they're reaching out to the farmers in order to help their business, but it's incentivizing farmers to make sure that they continue some of these practices like cover crops and rotational grazing and things like that. We're already doing it, but by incentivizing it, there's a little bit more financial viability in it to make sure that we can afford to do some of those practices because it's not always feasible. And what we can do here in Wisconsin is not what our friends in Kansas can do, mm-hmm. um, especially in terms of cover crops. I, we were just in DC and talking about this and it's very easy up here to put land in cover crops. It is not easy out there just because of the type of soil and things like that. So these corporations are going to have to start reaching out to farmers across the country Um, But I think it's a start to really boost the financial side for farmers to be able to make sure that they have the financial resources to keep these practices in place. Yeah, that's also a great point. I mean, what works in Wisconsin might not work here in Florida and vice versa. So, I mean, whether it's cover crops, rotation, um, rotational grazing, just stuff like that. Like it's not one size fits all, but it's amazing that farmers and ranchers like yourself can adapt their operation, whether it's livestock or crops, to be sustainable, be regenerative, and really also help combat climate change, which is really kind of everything there. And so it's cool. And I feel like people are, I don't know, thanks to social media, are slowly learning that too. Like they can get on Instagram or Facebook and see what a farmer in Texas is doing. And that farmer can share their story about all the steps they're doing about regenerative agriculture. Like I interviewed, um, uh, oh shoot, what is their name? They are a big time white oak pastures in Georgia. I interviewed them and they're doing a lot of regenerative stuff. And they've been on, I believe, Netflix. They've been on a bunch of TV shows where they're educating people about all the regenerative um, and sustainable practices that they're doing on their farm. And so it's great that farmers are finally getting the credit for all that good stuff. Farmers are definitely the experts in their own businesses. And I think with social media and that direct contact with the community and customers and consumers in general, um, 
they should not be afraid to reach out to farmers and ask questions. We're always happy to answer questions and explain why we do what we do. Because like you said, you might see something that's happening in Florida and wonder why we're not doing it here in Wisconsin or vice versa. But if somebody would just ask us, we'd be able to explain that. So I think that's important too, is letting those farmers and ranchers have a seat at the table and be part of the conversation. Yeah. Farmers are a very collaborative bunch from what I've learned. And it's really neat just to kind of hear the stories. And I mean, also there's so many organizations and institutes out there that really support that collaborative environment. And so I think that's really cool. Like, have you learned a lot from those sort of relationships and stuff? Absolutely. So this Partners in Advocacy Leadership Program, there's 10 of us from across the country in all corners. And it's very neat to find out how we all do things differently, but all with the same goal of being sustainable. So, oh, that was bad. What was I saying? <laughs> I know you're good. Um, so yeah, like just being able to learn from each other and see what other parts of the country are doing has been really beneficial. And we've been able to use each other as resources as well. Um, and it's kind of, funny to think that I'm the beef girl from Wisconsin when you think dairy and we've got a guy from Utah that's the dairyman uh, but we can really see what practices work for everybody else yeah that's awesome I mean I'm excited to see kind of where this collaboration goes I mean as more people are I don't know kind of doing these practices and also more people are learning about them so I think that'll be super cool to kind of see what's going to go on absolutely and farmers and ranchers are not they always like continually learning so big things are yet to come. Yeah. What do you see in the next, I don't know, like on your farm, are there anything in the next five or 10 years that you guys are looking to do, whether it's in terms of like updating things or try new practices, like what's going to happen like in the next five or 10 years just for you guys? So when we talk cover crops, that's something that we haven't been able to do just because of the type of crops we've been growing. So we'll, we're definitely looking at doing that. Uh, we always want to continue to improve and update and learn from other farmers as well as the research that's out there. So I know cover crops, like I said, is going to be a big one uh, because we focus so heavily on our genetics of our cows, making mm. sure that they're the most efficient on, you know, they're growing on the least amount of feed and things like that um, is going to be important. So we're always growing and learning. There you go. Never, never being satisfied, always trying to learn more what you can do, have the cows better. I mean, uh, of course, somebody with a show background, you're wanting to do, go above and beyond for those cattle, which I think is always really cool. But I mean, also, that's just really any rancher in general, really just trying to have the best livestock, having them in the best care as possible, which also people don't really understand. My cows definitely have a better diet and life than I think <laughs> I do. They are very, very pampered. Oh my gosh, I can imagine. That's so funny. I've been I've been following these accounts on Instagram, which always just show like these cows cuddling with their owners and you know, with I don't know, goats and stuff. It's just so cute. And I imagine that's probably how y'all's cows are. They definitely are pets, uh, which can lead to being pests out in the pasture because they like to get right up in our business. They know when we come down with the bucket what that means. Oh, I bet. I bet they're like, hey, it's feeding time. What you guys doing? Just get that yes. food out the bucket. <laughs> we have our boss cow and she, her name is Scarlett. She stands at the fence and she knows what time of day it is and she will look at you until you come down and feed her. Oh, it's so funny how they develop those personalities. Like you have the leader cows, you've got the... The spunky cows, you've got the dumb cows. Like you've always got those personalities in whatever herd, however big it is. Absolutely. 
<laughs> well, Rachel, this has been super fun. If people want to learn more about your farm, or better yet, if they are in Wisconsin and they want to buy from you guys, where can they go? You can find us on Facebook at Lakeshore Land and Livestock or Rachel Harmon. Oh, we're also Sweet. on Instagram. I'm on Twitter, TikTok. We're all over the place. You can find us. We like being social. Perfect. I got to follow y'all on TikTok. I deleted my TikTok for Farm Traveler, but I'm going to have to download it again because I've seen a, bu- a bunch of, you know how Instagram always uploads um, like last week's TikTok. So I've been seeing a lot of good TikToks lately. So I might have to down- download it again yeah. and I'll and have to TikTok follow you guys. all over the place. Yeah. Egg TikTok oh, yeah. is definitely where it's at. <laughs> well, perfect. Well, Rachel, thanks so much. Great to virtually meet you. Um, best of luck with everything. You too. Thank you so much for this opportunity. And I apologize that my kids were slamming the door. And <laughs> Oh, no, they were good. We we've definitely have worse on. So they were totally fine. Don't worry. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you again. If you need anything in the future, I'm happy to be a resource for you. If you have more questions or need some sound bites, just let me know. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Farm Traveler Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, maybe you learned something new, something changed your mind, or you've got some more questions, I've got a better idea on how we can continue these conversations after the episodes are up. So, of course, first off, you've got to follow us on social media. If it's on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, wherever that might be. But specifically, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter where I post about these episodes and all of those links will be below in the description of this episode. But follow us there and then feel free to leave a comment on any of those posts for today's episode. Let me know what you learned. Let me know what questions you still have, maybe about ranching, about raising beef, about going direct to consumer if you're a farmer or if you're a consumer, what questions you have about finding farmers in your area. Let's continue this discussion over on social media. I would love to hear your comments, any questions, comments, or concerns that you have. And of course, feel free to share those posts with your friends or family if you think they would get something out of it. That helps us out a ton. I've actually been seeing this um, tactic being used by a bunch of podcasters I've been following. So I think it'd be kind of cool to kind of see how this goes. So go comment over on social media right now. I mean, not really, but whenever you are free and whenever you are done listening to this episode. So thanks so much for listening. Go comment. I will hopefully see you in those comments. And of course, I will see you next week.